Gav, I believe these two are known to you. What are you doing here? Where are we? They must have followed you into the edit suite. This ridiculous podcast. I knew something like this would happen if we stayed in one place too long. Is this really where you edit, Gav? Yes. And what's wrong with it? But it was just a conversation. Perhaps. But it was an ordinary video call. We talked all around the subject. Paul, you heard me. Oh, you wouldn't understand. But I want to understand. It's an illusion, it must be. Illusion indeed. You say we can't create an enormous sound file from one of our smaller conversations? No. But you've discovered software, haven't you? Yes. Well, software delights in taking something very small and making it unbelievably huge. Well, yes, but I still don't know... Not quite clear, is it? I can see by your faces that you're not certain. You don't understand, and I knew you wouldn't. Never mind. The point is not whether you understand. What's going to happen to you, hmm? They'll tell everybody about Audacity now. Audacity? The editing software. They chose the name Audacity because regardless of what you ask it to do, it does whatever it wants. Just let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a bunch of wiggly lines on a screen. It can move anywhere in our conversation. Yes, quite so. But that's ridiculous. Have you ever thought what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? Have you? To be exiles? While we edit, Gav and I are cut off from our own lives without friends or family. But one day, we shall get back. Yes, one day. When the edit is done. It's true. Every word of it's true. You don't know what you've done coming in here. Run away while you still have the chance. Welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, add something borrowed, that sketch, to make Something Who. Yes, it's Something Who podcast episode 51. I'm Richard and we're back to discuss another couple of Doctor Who stories. First off, it's the very first story of all, an unearthly child or whatever it is you choose to call it. And then... It's that other one that sort of comes right between the two, the the old and the new series. It's the so-called TV movie starring the Eighth Doctor. We're going to talk about new beginnings, I guess, over the course of the evening. And with me to discuss such things, we have Big Finish author and missing (laughs) we have Big Finish author and missing episodes podcaster Paul. Hello. (laughs) Oh, seamless that wasn't it? Utterly seamless. Uh, yeah, we've got science and astronomy writer Giles. Evening. And we have graphic designer and podcaster Gav. Hello. Good evening, chaps. Good evening. So what's happened since the last time we were together? Uh, that that there um, Doctor Who's back on the telly. It is, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm looking forward to Doctor Who again these days. Mm. Yes, I, I see this. This is being repeated across my timeline on Facebook. People I'm told are short are real are telling me that they they like Doctor Who again after having their doubts of recent years. Oh, really? I even liked most of episode three, which is not a popular take in the last few days. Mm. Yeah, well, it appealed to me, actually. Uh, you know, my trajectory was number episode one, no idea. Episode two, 
bit dull. Episode three, really quite light. <laughs> ah. Yeah. My girlfriend absolutely hated it, and um, I spent 20 minutes explaining it to her. <laughs> but yeah it was a bold move telling several backstories all with the wrong actors and some might say it was a bit of a misstep but if you're able to keep up the actual content was very intriguing and i'm fully invested in the mystery of the division hmm. you know the pre-hartnell doctor controversy rumbles on in the background but i actually have absolutely no problem with the the timeless child backstory i don't think it's any any better or worse than the war doctor or i still remember being viscerally disappointed watching episode 10 of the war games and getting the explanation and the doctor just says i was bored and i just just remember thinking when i was younger <laughs> yeah but you know what what's the real story going to be and there wasn't one not in the war games anyway i mean they've made up six replacements since then hmm well, it was only going to be looms, wasn't it? If it wasn't this, well, in the war games, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of up and down for me. First episode, I didn't know quite what to make of it. Second episode, I quite enjoyed. Third episode, I thought, yeah, not so sure that this is. Yeah, it reminded me. The yeah, third one kind of reminded me of one of those. I said one of those Red Dwarf episodes, like every other Red Dwarf episode, where they basically get the cast to be an alternative version of themselves. <laughs> Hmm. Oh, yes. Someone on Twitter made the very cynical observation that this series was made under COVID lockdown restrictions and what better way to do it than to minimise your cast as much as possible. Hmm. But I'm sure it was a creative decision. Well, win-win if it was both, I suppose. Hmm. I quite like minimal casts and I may be returning to that theme during the course of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I think the series so far has been more entertaining than it has been of late and less egregious but I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say it was good. <laughs> but I would say it was more entertaining and less annoying. Hmm. Yeah. I did remember thinking 20 minutes into the, the episode that's just been on. There's a line that Russell T. Davis wrote in The Writer's Tale, which is something like, it's better for the audience to be confused for five minutes than bored for 30 seconds. And I thought, that's true, but I'm not sure whether that expands ad infinitum to a 40-minute episode. But mm. I was intrigued and invested and confused. The, the the bit that was designed to be convoluted didn't bother me. Uh, the, the, there were plot strands and the execution of certain things which I had more issues with. Using the past mm. to save the future and the Doctor just turns up in the uh, chamber and, and says to the priestesses or whatever they are oh well done you've done it and you think well done what and then the uh, and then the villains come around the corner and they haven't been defeated and i thought at that point okay i don't fully understand what's supposed to have just happened there that was a bit weird wasn't it hmm. it felt like something had disappeared in the edit or in the redraft hmm. Hmm. but the good news is that next week or this coming week it's going to be or, or maybe last week by the time I've edited it, is going to be Maxine Alderton, who you know we quite enjoyed last time when it was yeah. uh, Haunting of Villa Diodati. So, mm, you know. We promise she's written circa 50% of the episode. So. Okay. Well, there we go. What thrills. And maybe Captain Jack will show up as well. Who knows what could happen? You don't subscribe to the theory that Vinda is, was meant to I be do. John Barrowman. I do. That's why I said it. I see. I that's confusing, it then. A, it was a joke for myself. Okay. <laughs> my favourite kind. I can, I've now reached such <laughs> such a pitch in my art that I've given up on making sense to anybody else. Mm. As long as I have my fun. If that theory is true, does the uh, the episode that we've just had make much sense about his 
No. I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, then, no, it doesn't, because it's about the backstory of the woman he loves going out to look for him and how he got posted on the outpost because he did his job, basically. Mm. With one of the most clunking clunking lines of exposition we've had in a a long time. Yes. In there. Yes. It's it's not the most skillfully crafted script, but... Mm. No, I, I, I don't know. I think the, the Captain Jack conspiracy theory. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of fall apart because they started filming this last... Didn't they start filming last autumn? Or am I imagining... I'm not wedded to it that's... at all. I, I was a bit confused by the, the dates. I had a, I thought that... Mm. Is that what you're saying? They'd filmed it all before, or, mo- or at least filmed most of it before? Not all of it, but I happened. think they would have committed to... That's what I thought. ...to Vinda being cast before, yeah, before we got that far. Hmm. Very good. Well, anyway, that, so there's our lukewarm take uh, on the new series, and you never know, we might have a, 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 a marginally colder one next time. Yes. So, on then perhaps to An Unearthly Child, or Serial A, or The Tribe of Gum, or that one with the cave people in it. 100,000 BC. Yeah, yes, mm. whatever you choose to call it. Written by Anthony Coburn, directed, of course, by Waris Hussain. And I also watched the pilot episode, you know, just for a bit of a laugh. And I have I, I have just listened what a few months ago to Toby Haydock discussing in tremendous detail all the many and various differences between the pilot episode and the one that was transmitted. But to be honest, in the moment of watching it, it seemed like two versions of more or less the same thing. I mean, there are there are different differences in the dialogue. It didn't seem so different. I suppose just just as a, as, as a slight variation on a theme, I, I'm not old enough that I was alive when it went out the first time. And I did watch it in um, 1981 when the Five Faces season came along. But actually for episodes two, three and four, that was the first time I've watched it since the Five Faces Great. season. So, um, Wouldn't be the same with yeah, that. You have a will of iron. <laughs> <laughs> How have you managed to resist for so long? Have you only seen the first episode again because it's been repeated on its own in various places? No, well, I think the truth is that that I, if you if you if you do the the sums, I was about fourteen when I saw it, and I think being about fourteen when you see it is enough to convince you that episodes two, three, and four are a bit rubbish, but episode one's quite fun. So I think I've went back and watched episode one a few times because I thought it was quite fun. Um, this time I discovered that my 14-year-old self was an idiot and that episodes 2, 3 and 4 are quite fun as well. Uh-huh. So uh, so there we go. We'll come to that later, I'm sure. <laughs> Do you remember the pilot episode was screened in 93 on BBC Two? And yeah. it was trumpeted oh, yes. as never-before-seen yeah. episode of Doctor Who. And although I was a fan, I basically didn't understand the difference between the pilot and the first episode of the broadcast version. So I was absolutely baffled by this big announcement and was thoroughly confused by watching it, thinking, I've seen this before. Mm. Why is everyone going on about, this isn't a missing episode. I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've got, this, was, this is on my video collection. What's all this? So yeah, I was totally baffled by that. As you say, I mean, they, you know, they're not tremendously different pieces of television. They are different in the detail and different in the subtleties of the performance. But if you just have a fairly vague memory of the outline of the episode, I mean, it's essentially the same mm. piece of television. Same stuff happens, yeah. Yeah, so that was a that was a revelation to discover later the significance of it, mm. and then compare and contrast. Mm. 
and that 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 becomes interesting. But yes, at the time in '93, I was very confused. For those of you who watched them both as research for this episode, what if you had to pick one major difference? What would you pick? Susan. Right. She's a bit weirder in the pilot. <laughs> I mean, she's pretty weird in 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 the, in the actual one as well. She's certainly she's she's certainly weirder than she's ever going to be again, mm. but but she's particularly weird, I think, in the pilot. No freaky dancing. Hartnell's much much gentler and yeah. m- more amusing in the broadcast version. Mm. Anything I really ever remember from the behind the scenes of this is that Sidney Newman wrote on the on his notes, "Old man, not funny enough." Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and of course he does eventually become. He got straight to the point. Very pithy. Yeah. He does eventually become funny, mm, but yeah. it, was, it was a reason, quite a long journey to um, the giggly simpleton he becomes, Hartnell. Mm. Here he just goes from extremely acerbic to just slightly less disturbing. Mm. The, the bit in the junkyard, I think, is the beginnings of it, the twinkle in his eye when he's deliberately ignoring Ian and Barbara and examining the painting, <laughs> and you just get the hint of, of the Doctor that he's going to become. But yes, it's embryonic. The back wall of the TARDIS is the most exciting difference in the two versions. It's got a big painted backdrop of some valves in the pilot. It's worth the admission fee alone. And the version of the pilot that they've they've stuck on the beginning box set that I saw, they've they've excised the most egregious bit of uh, manual fiddling around with the doors, so you don't even get that much fun. That yeah, that's the other thing is that the uh, the ninety three version I ended up becoming very familiar with, and then when. When it came out on DVD, it's a different cut again. Hmm. From memory, it has an extremely complicated history. I think in 93, because of course, correct me if I'm wrong, the recording session is the first half hmm. done in one take, and then the second tar- half, the TARDIS scenes, done twice because mm-hmm. of foul-ups. So the first time they, they showed it, they every time they've shown the pilot, they've had to edit it together. So the first time they did... Yeah, a and B. The second time it was shown like, later in the nineties, it was or was it early two thousand? It was, you know, A and C, mm. and it wasn't really till we got the DVD that we got the whole lot, and it is all on there, Richard. In case you hadn't noticed, you can see all the heinous technical foul-ups, and of course we got a, an all-new version, which was some sort of best of. Yeah, they, <laughs> they took all different the cuts didn't they? removed. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what I watched was the best of. Well, exciting times. Mm. It's interesting because it's not really a pilot, is it? In no. not in the traditional sense. I was talking about this with a mate this morning when I said what we were going to what we we're going to be watching, and he said, "Well, it's not really a pilot. So we can refer to it as the pilot, but it was the actual. You know, they made the episode yeah. intending to broadcast it, but just with the fallback of if they felt like it needed redoing, they had a little bit of wiggle room to revisit." Yeah. They did have the other type of pilot in those days. It existed, didn't they? They made pilots in the modern sense. Mm, yeah. Even back, so. back then. So we need a different term for it, but we don't have one. <laughs> the unbroadcast first abandoned recording session. Mm. It's not quite as snappy, is it? Yeah. And the interesting thing is, of course, if this one had gone out, then it would have gone out on the 16th of November, and history would have been... We'd have been robbed of one oh, of... Yeah. One of history's greatest <laughs> coincidences slash aid mem- aid memoir, wouldn't we? Hmm. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. Wouldn't if that version had gone out? Wouldn't Doctor have been fixed as being from the 49th century Earth rather than mm. much vaguer Ooh, another time, another place? Not necessarily. So, I don't think he says Earth. I think they say there's right. The no, it's just hmm. he doesn't not say Earth. Hmm. Hmm. In fact, I think he very specifically says that he's alien in the pilot and 
there's no reference made either way in the main. Ah. I think I remember hearing something because I, I didn't watch the pilot this time, and and I did pick up on a reference to him being alien, and because I've been doing some re-listens of quite a few of the missing episode soundtracks and and quite enjoying the bits where you think, okay, have they figured out that he's alien yet? It was I was slightly caught up by the fact that um, there's a reference to the Doctor and Susan being from another world or something similar. Although I suppose there's a... Well, world's woolly though, isn't it? I suppose that's... Yeah, yeah, there is a... I think... Uh, is it Spearhead from Space the first time he's said as an a- he's an alien? I don't want to be pit- but, uh, overly picky, but I mean, are we even sure that the word alien was quite as clear in its meaning? I mean, at this point, mm, it still yes. could mean foreign mm. in some contexts. Mm. And I, I've got a feeling, I mean, towards the end of the episode, he does say to Ian to try and convince him that it really is Stone Age Earth outside. If you could see, if you could he's, stand yeah. in the dust on an alien world mm. and see strange birds wheeling. Yes, yes. and he's talking and he about... Knows it's, but he knows it's still Earth out there, yeah. and, he, and yet he recalls it alien. Mm, so exactly. I think he's... The word can be much more loosely yeah. applied. Mm. Anyway, I think what we can conclude is they were keeping their options open and or didn't know. Mm. Yes. So she says, she says, I was born in another time, another world. Yeah. You're right. So it's, it's, it's a little bit ah, I ambiguous. Right. Right. I, I did do a slightly contentious YouTube video on this subject. And oh, okay. we explored the fact that although it's fairly easy to read it as being alien, there was nothing firmly established. And therefore, one of the early comic strips, mm. the Klepton Parasites, the Doctor's a human inventor who's, who just invents a time machine in his junkyard. And then the same again happens with Peter Cushing, Doctor Who's just a human inventor. So these these we now look back on mm. as just extraordinary aberrations in the mm. history yeah. of Doctor Who. But yeah. back at the time, people wouldn't have blinked twice at them. Mm. I remember your video very well. It was very thorough and very, very well researched and very well presented. And um, I wish I could remember the facts. I remember enjoying it, but it was all one in one ear and out the other. But didn't you sort of conclude that even within different writers within the same production era would yeah, have different takes on it? And as long as they weren't heinously contradicting each other, the script editor wouldn't bother changing it. The, the two best examples are the, the chase followed by the time meddler, where the chase establishes that the, the Doctor built the TARDIS himself. And the time meddler instantly establishes that they roll off a production line and that the meddling monk's got his own. But mm-hmm. it, even the meddling monk, they swerve saying that he's an alien. They say that he's from 50 years earlier, later, I can't remember, different time period. Everything's about the time period. Like you say, I think they were hedging their bets somewhat. Because Barbara says, you look like us, you sound like us. And she says, I was, I'm from a different time, a different world. Hmm. It's it's nice to hear three guitars mood two in its proper context, <laughs> have, having having listened to it many times in the edit. Mm-hmm. I was also noticing how Ian in this is quite irritating in the way that he. I mean, if you were Barbara anyway, it's surprising that she's so so kind of forbearing, I suppose. Or, or I mean, maybe that was just the lot of 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 a uh, female teacher in 1963. But it, it appears that he's telling her that she doesn't know what she's talking about quite a lot of the time. Yes, and also she's well. Just to skip forward, she's screaming quite a bit in um, you know the next couple of episodes, which she won't do afterwards. The characters mm. are a bit more strongly written in ways that they they'll be mellowed quite mm. quickly, won't they? All all of them. It, it's nice so. that she drifts towards believing the Doctor, and there's that interesting separation yes. that yes. happens there, and then it happens later in the in the Cavemen episodes, and then happens in in the Daleks as well. I guess the implication is not that she's overly credulous or a, bit, or a simpleton. 
<laughs> but that um, Ian is unnecessarily closed-minded because he thinks yes. the, he's the scientific one. Mm. He he also he thinks he knows the limits of science, which mm. he shouldn't really if he was genuinely scientific. Mm-hmm. So really, he's not cut out to be a teacher, is he? Really? <laughs> what an arrogant man. Yeah. It puzzled me today watching Barbara storms in. The whole setup scene with with her and Ian is predicated on the fact that Barbara's had this absolutely horrendous day because of Susan. But there's really no there's yeah. no context to that. Because, I mean, if it's anything like her minor disruption of Ian's class, Susan probably ended mm-hmm. up looking foolish anyway, the whole class laughing at her. I don't quite know what Barbara's horrific day because of Susan Foreman was caused by. No. If that, hmm. if that makes a day horrific, then the rest of the school kids <laughs> must be unusually well-mannered for, for in London. Unless it's been really hard chatting away to the school secretary, trying to get hold of the proper address or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. I was watching with the um, with the production subtitles on, and so uh, I'm not sure who did them for this, but uh, they are owed full credit for any misses I come up with, I think. <laughs> but, um, but certainly, from what I understand, certainly with regards to Ian's attitude and so on, we dodged a bullet, because the, the earlier drafts were riddled with sexism and women driver jokes and... Oh, and all sorts wonderful. of things. And, um, <laughs> when they were Cliff and Lola? Um, no, I think later than that. I think once they... <laughs> there, there was the suggestion that she was a bit tipsy. When oh, she yes, previously... when she when she first tried to go, that she might have been drunk. Right. Sorry, yeah, she was... Because Ian was able to undermine the believability of her story that she'd followed Susan into an empty junkyard and Susan mm. seemingly didn't have a house to live in. He's and gaslighting Ian... her. This is horrific. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. horrible for the 1965 crew, isn't it? <laughs> I was prepared to give Anthony Coburn full credit for all the things I liked about the writing, which um, is a lot. Mm. They're not in all four episodes, I'm afraid to say. But clearly, clearly the unsung hero, as usual in this era, is David Whittaker. Mm. Yeah. Smoothing it all out. Taking mm. taking out Susan's throbbing. She, <laughs> t- she talks about how she, uh, yes. the music she's listening to, she says it, 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 it taught her to throb. Mm-hmm. And there's also the romance with... Uh, Ian and Barbara goes out the window. Ian says something like, you live alone, don't you? Well, I'll be sitting at home in my pants tonight. What about you? And she said, <laughs> me, me too. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. that's the gist of it. And, and yeah, so there was definite romantic undertones, so, underpants. As well as improving it, he's, he's clearly trying to remind, well, he's remembered that this is a family show, which Anthony mm. Coburn might have forgotten. Mm. So lots of things David Whittaker knew you couldn't get away with, but he, this doctor is still allowed to smoke at this point. Of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't he be? It's going to be decades before that would be considered a problem. Well, Ian was a, as a smoker to begin mm, with. Yes, yeah. And, and they excised that on the basis that it would interfere with the logic of not being able to make fire later because he would have mm. cigarettes and matches on him. Mm. The only reason. Otherwise, he'd have been a 60 a day man. Mm. And there'd have been a, a, a cigarette machine down the corridor from the food machine. <laughs> And yet they, they keep in the, the doctor smoking because it's a yeah. it's a plot thread that the, the cavemen say, oh, I saw him make fire. Hmm. Therefore we'll... And then the doctor says, I can't make fire. Hmm. Ian is a smoker in the, um, in the David book. Whittaker novel, yeah. the, the uh, exciting adventure with the Daleks. Also here, Susan likes to walk alone in the dark, she tells us, but it's the last time she's going to enjoy that because by the time we get to the Daleks, she hates walking alone in the dark. <laughs> Spends most of the time screaming. Yep, she pretty much hates everything fairly quickly, doesn't she? She's like, <laughs> yeah. All these amazing planets and civilizations and other universes they've been to, she mm-hmm. must have had an extremely quiet, sheltered time yeah. of it. 
Well, mm. she is very, very keen on staying in 1963, isn't she? Mm. It's mm. it's the most civilised place they've been, and so she feels like, yeah, yes, somewhere boring at last. Let's stay mm. here. I, I quite, I must say, I like the um, point of view shots you get of Susan in those flashback scenes. That's quite a, a, a nice bit of uh, of work that, again, we're not going to see too much more of in the series mm. thereafter, in, in that first series anyway. It's because we don't get Ian and Barbara in the scene. That's the point. Yes. It's actually, it we, we, we get Ian and Barbara's, we get their yes. POV so they can stay sitting in the car and... Yeah. So it's, it's a brilliant piece of, of logistics, but it's also really rather neat um, from an artistic point of view as well. Mm. So it's the uh, best of both worlds, eh? Yeah. There aren't many point of view shots in Doctor Who, but there's another one in the TV movie. Mmm. <laughs> Good point. Uh, yeah. One of a thousand <laughs> points of... Uh, of comparison well, yeah. I made for later on. Um, interestingly enough, we had some Doctor Interior monologue just on Sunday night, which uh, oh. pulled me up short and made me think, okay, you don't often get that. No. True. Mm. You're still not allowed to do it if you're writing Doctor Who prose fiction. Mm. Yeah, well, you know. But it's one rule it's for one the rule show for them, isn't another it? rule for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, science people, um, what about this <laughs> business about active chemicals and it, just, oh, it, it, it sounds like absolute rubbish to me. Uh, I presume it's absolute rubbish. Uh, it sounds like absolute rubbish to me. I'm an astrophysicist, damn it, Jim, not a, not a chemist. <laughs> um, Very good. No, I can't. Uh, I've, I was more interested in trying to work out what when Susan's banging on about the fifth dimension being space. Oh, yeah. Like, after she's, you know, only now current understanding of the, the XYZ dimensions or ABC in, that, in Ian's demonstration. Mm. Um, are the space dimensions? You would have thought, yes. Width and depth. So, so I don't know. It's interesting. But then, so is it some kind of hyperspace? Is it? Ooh. Is it? And beyond that, mm. space-time is a single thing, right? Yes. Did, yeah. It, it, did, am I right in thinking that Einstein posited that? So that was should already have been well known by the time they were writing this. Yes. Yeah. Right. And also, I, I mean, mm. even as a child, I remember thinking dimensions one, two, and three, as you say, mm. you know, up, down, whatever, x, y, and z. And if if time is the fourth, mm. then I always thought it was a bit weird that space was the fifth. It seemed like a step backwards to me. Yeah. And I, I've not changed in that opinion. Uh, it seems a bit clumsy. It's supposed to sound mysterious, isn't it? Well, it can, it can sound space mysterious. Space is even more weird than time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we get some, had some of that on Sunday as well. I couldn't quite make sense of it. But oh, God. Um, <laughs> you can look forward to that, Paul. But without bringing that in, yeah, curiously enough, um, with my Dr. Science hat on, you know, one of the cool things is, I guess the um, the the sort of space thing th- these days we could wave it away and say, well, it is kind of this this brain space with B R A N E, nothing to do with the Rani. And there's this theory that because there's there's these various theories of everything that the universe has either ten or twenty six dimensions or eleven or twenty six dimensions. I've heard, yeah. and that most mm. of these are bundled up and very very small. So. So they all kind of fold in on each other, and you just don't see okay. them because of the scale we're at. But this, there is this, you know, the the idea that there might be one, one additional dimension that is actually quite big, and it separates, separates planes of space time, from each other, and means you can have like parallel universes and things like that, mm. and that could be your 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 actual hyperspace slash right. additional space dimension. 
Indeed. I mean, if, if this fifth dimension, if it said sideways or something like that, mm. I would have understood where they were coming from because mm. in the original format for the program, mm. that was the idea, wasn't it? It would be mm. a historical, a backwards, mm. a forwards in time, and then a sideways yes. for the weird ones. Yeah. Not literally sideways, but they had this idea that there was a, a dimension of weirdness. Mm. Like the gunfighters. Which you occasionally. Well, and of course, this was, they, they, you know, obviously the plan was originally they were going to do the minuscules. As the as the first the minuscules as the first story we desperately which, need a story yeah. about the TARDIS team being reduced to one inch in height. Yes, which seems I a very odd. That's a memo that is sent around and, towards and, the um, end of the first series. And we know it didn't come off, but it seems a very odd way of your opening pitch on your story about a about someone with a space time machine is to say, "Oh, it's gone wrong, and we're in the present day, but we're we're reduced to running around in a planet of giant in a um, land of land of the giants." Remake, pre-make? I don't know. Had Land of the Giants happened by then? We get, in, we get into the TARDIS, or we get into the junkyard, I suppose. I mean, you've already talked about how the Doctor has... He's sort of hoping they're just going to walk away. I feel like if he was slightly, slightly less suspicious than they might do, they, they do start to talk about going off and getting a police officer, and then it's, it's sort of his slightly a slight obstreperousness, which means that they don't actually go and do that immediately and allow Susan to, 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 to shout out. Mm. But I guess once they're once they're in, there's this sort of slightly contrived, I suppose, business that the doctor's convinced that even if they just disappear off and go and you know consort with cavemen and Daleks and so on, somehow it's going to be terrible if someone back on Earth knows that they ever existed. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it's nice that that, that they go, all go off together because we have some lovely adventures, but um, it, it just seems a little bit inconsistent. <sighs> You pointed out the fundamental flaw underlying. Yeah, there you go. Scrap it. <laughs> <laughs> Nuts. Yeah, fifty-eight years. It was, fifty-eight years. It was nice while it lasted. <laughs> At the risk of throwing forward too early, that 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 is a, a stark contrast to the TV movie, where the Doctor is just waltzing through, tossing yeah. out pieces of advice as to how best to change people's future. Mm, Don't yeah. forget to do this next week. Answer this question in your exam. Don't come to San Francisco for your holiday next year. Yeah, he just doesn't care by then, does he? But yes, at this point. Imagine if two school teachers went to the police and said, there's a police box in a junkyard. Think of the repercussions. Yeah. And, I mean, I suppose the other thing that, that, that comes over to me immediately is that, you know, considering this is the first episode... It's not as, as as embarrassing as you might imagine for a you know a, a story shot fifty eight years ago, mm. and and a lot of a lot of both the direction and the sets and the setup and even the acting is I mean okay it's of its era but it's but it's pretty good of its era it, it, it could have been a lot worse. I think we're underselling it there. I think it's bloody marvelous. Yeah, mm. <clears throat> I mean, it's first episode. I won't include two, three, and four for the benefit of all those strange people that, that don't like them. But, I mean, this it sets a standard that the programme will not always live up to. Mm-hmm. And possibly not even the majority of the time. Mm. So, it's a good job this team mm. was working on this first story rather than another fantasy team of writer and director that I could invent. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting directorially the the stuff in. I was thinking, okay, it's it's quite, and you get the the fact is a comp is very um progressive for the for the time because comps were only really just coming in. Mm-hmm. Comp, like, sorry. Comprehensive that Susan's yeah, Cole Hill is a comprehensive. Oh, okay. 
rather than a secondary modern. So um, that doesn't mean anything to me. Oh mm. right, okay. Well, you know, basically the comprehensive school idea being you educate. Every- we used to have a class system in this country, Gavin, yeah. before the <laughs> utopia that you were born into. Yeah. I went to a grammar school. I mean, if that's not oh, the, the lingering oh, yeah. class system, yes. I don't know what is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, sec- secondary modern was the other place. Mm. Okay. But, well, yeah. that's why I was not exposed to it. And, com- <laughs> and comps, comps it. was comprehensive was the idea that you'd educate everyone together uh, to the best, of, you know, regardless of their ability, to yeah. do as best you could, really. And uh, so, yeah, it's yeah, two seconds into Doctor Who, and it's the woke agenda. Yeah, <laughs> 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 barely has that barely has that pillar of the establishment, the policeman, disappeared off the screen. Then we're in some. Yeah. <laughs> then we're in some comp. Well, exactly, and it and it looks very modern. It's it is it is a modern school mm, internally, yeah. the architecture. And ironically, I'm going to mention a story which we're not down to discuss tonight. But when they revisit ostensibly the same school in Remembrance of the Daleks, they actually make make it look Victorian mm, mm. because by now, 1963 is a period piece, so they can't believe. So they assume it would look extremely old, mm, mm. but they and were wrong. That's continued, isn't it, in the new series? Cla- the Clara Clara's version of the school is is a is a Victorian building, I think. Yeah, if, it, if it's not three different buildings, but yeah, yeah. But in general, that whole you know the directorially, I think the first episode, in, maybe it notices in the first episode because it's it's not quite what you expect with the TARDIS scenes and things like that. But it it does feel quite kitchen sink. You get all these very very tight shots of people emoting at each other and arguing. Quite, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's not really what you yeah. It catches you slightly off guard. It caught me slightly off guard anyway. Mm. Well, I think, I mean, I think moving on as well, I think this is what surprised me a little, is is that when you get the um, TARDIS crew reunited in the Cave of Skulls, I suppose we're probably actually into about episode three, are we, when that happens? But but there's quite a long discussion that they have in there that, again, is, you know, is of that kind of kitchen sink variety. They're, they're, they're talking a lot about you know, their relationship together, the doctor starts to admit that maybe, you know, he wasn't right all the way along and and so on. Mm. And I mean, it is quite stagey, I guess, that those latter episodes and there are very long scenes, Mm. but, but again, I mean, you know, considering that it could have been, you know, really, really bad. I think they, they make, (laughs) they make a lot of those sets, you know, the, the forest for instance is an awful lot better than the forest in the Daleks. I mean, maybe because actually, you know, they're they're able to make quite a big forest because it's a it's a large part of that particular episode. Whereas the forest in 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 the Daleks is just a few fronds that Susan runs past for for half a minute. But you know, you get a sense that there there's some reality to that. But the fo- the forest in the Daleks is not supposed to have any foliage. It's all no, dead trees. Mm. So you can't really you can't flesh it out very well if you've got no leaves or grasses or anything like that. Mm. The writing and the direction in 100,000 BC, The Tribe of Gum, whatever, is all perfectly pitched to the realities of television production, and specifically on this budget. Mm-hmm. It's a small cast, very contained story. It's built around claustrophobia and character, mm-hmm. rather than wide epic vistas and, and action. Mm, yeah. And, as I say, the writing is on point, and the, direct, the direction, well, he, he chooses exactly the right bits to do on film. Mm, yeah, which um, is always a treat when it's done well in these early years. It's one of the things that gives me hope for Marco Polo if it should, if we should ever see it again. Although mm. I, 
I don't know if anyone's looked into how much of it's on film. Maybe it's not quite as much as episodes 2, 3 and 4. But I don't remember any really jarring moments when we switched from film to videotape. It's really carefully mm. thought through. Mm. But you've got small sets, but because the emphasis is on character, you can zoom the camera in. You just establish where you are, and then you get in nice and close, and it all becomes, and the drama mm. is amplified, the tension's amplified, mm. and the actors do their close-up acting business. Yeah. They start gripping their lapels and doing all the things <laughs> that you need to do when you're on a small screen and the viewers are only four feet away. It's weird when, when Carl's doing it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, but, but Hartnell insisted he's, yeah. he's the man of the future, Cal yeah. But I do actually believe in these Cave characters I mean, I, again, I, I sort of came to it You know, from when, However, you know, 40 years ago Thinking that it was just a lot of grunting And nothing very much But I, but I, I think they are credible characters mm. You know, you can sort of understand Where they're coming from And, and how they're motivated And I, I guess the, the female characters in particular Have, you know, are, are, are are believable and have you know motives that you that you fully understand. Yeah. You know, yes, it's a relatively simple story, but it but it does seem to have a, a, a kernel of believability about it. I think it's undeniable that they're very clear, well motivated characters, whether you like the story or not. Yeah. It's very fashionable to to scoff at it. The, the idea that <laughs> your first story of this program that you have such high hopes for should be something as underwhelming and potentially pathetically ludicrous as cavemen and i can see that point of view but on the other hand it's something simple and undemanding and doesn't take draw the focus too far away from our leads while we're still getting to know them mm. i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm making too many excuses for it but i mean if we'd launch into a historical with really vivid characters like a celebrity historical something then the new guest characters might have drawn attention away from our leads mm. who we don't know yet yeah. or again a really exciting science fiction story with bold new concepts. That's a lot to think about while we're still trying to get our head around. So I think it's good that it's a relatively simple contained. Mm. I, I disagree. I think they, they do exactly the same thing in the Daleks, but in the future and, and more interesting. Because you've got, because they yes. get locked up in the cell in the Daleks, they get locked up yeah. in the cell in the cavemen. And yeah. it's, it's exactly the same conceit. So you just get to know the main characters. There's longer and more interesting scenes in the Daleks where they cast are all locked up trying to work out what to do and I don't think it would have been any detriment to the show whatsoever if the Daleks had been the first serial. But it was clearly no detriment to the show to start with this either so it doesn't necessarily count as the criticism of the tribe of gum mm. but no, that's the well, only thing I'm, I'm not... trying to say, people have, have talked about this disastrous decision to put this here at this pivotal moment in the show's history as if it actually did some harm but <laughs> there's no evidence that it did. No but I think the Daleks rescued it from people's perceptions because I think the the reception was pretty lukewarm to the cavemen and then the, it took off with the with the subsequent well, episodes and then of course Marco it took Polo. off with the Daleks because that's something quite extraordinary which we, which um, is still part of popular culture 60 years later so hmm. yeah of course <laughs> of course the Daleks was better well, I mean what I would also compare it with is not necessarily the Daleks the story that came immediately after or maybe even Marco Polo but the many I think there are many stories in the next few years which are worse than this on different levels i don't know why it gets quite as much hate as it does it's funny because i my perception is that it's the fashionable opinion is to talk about how underrated it is 
I really m- yeah, my perception is that you you get lambasted if you dare to suggest that the old well we all move fan in different circles truth <laughs> is well I mean my my perception is that everyone says it's not fair to say episodes two three and four are no good because introduce they're actually me to these people I'd like to meet them uh, Jim Sangster's one go and speak to him well do. Jim Sangster. <laughs> Giles, do, do, do you have a horse in this particular race? Uh, well, only, with regards to the general popularity, unfortunately, this is something I can't quite remember the details of, but I, I know on the production notes they they give some example of audience feedback. I think from kids' junior points of view, was doing a survey very shortly mm-hmm. after, you know, or while this was airing, and kids were already saying it was like their second favourite TV programme. I can't yes, remember what the first one was. After Z Cars, wasn't it? After Z Cars, exactly. Yes, yes, thank <laughs> Z Cars was top which and Doctor a, Who was. Which second. is another interesting one that, yeah. Nothing yeah. that was exactly aimed at kids in quite the way that you might think. So and it was yeah, it was it was doing something right for its target audience. I think right from the outset and the weirdness. What I found myself thinking, I, I kind of went into this into the other three episodes expecting to look for the analogy, which is funnily enough, it's it's foreshadowed in episode one that because the you know and that's that's pretty much the only place it really comes up that Hartnell makes the comment about the Red Indian seeing a steam train analogy, and I was expecting I was kind of looking waiting to see let's have lots of analogies between you know Ian and Barbara you know versus the, the Doctor and Susan compared to the whole lot of them versus the cavemen kind of that sort of still in the nursery thing and I didn't really find all that much of that to to sort of appreciate maybe I maybe I was just overlooking it maybe I'm just being naive in that but what I found does work about those three episodes it is a quite extreme story in a way in that it's it takes them so completely out of their comfort zone it's not really okay the characters are motivated but you're kind of the cavemen's dialogue, you literally are seeing their thought processes and trying to get some, yeah. which is quite interesting you know, in terms of I have failed to do any research onto exactly what people's theories were about this peri- kind of period. And apparently, apparently, um, Verity Lambert liked to call this story the Paleolithic Age, was her shorthand for it. But, you know, there was clearly ideas that this was around the time when there was the dawn of human consciousness as such and that was starting to develop and it's it's interesting that you get these kind of thought processes are telegraphs but i think it's interesting that you don't really have you know, they really really have to struggle to reason with the mm. cavemen in these things and it's it's quite an extreme situation you know you don't have space gadgets you don't and you don't have reasonably sophisticated historical people that we could you, that you can have a moderately normal conversation with yeah, mm-hmm. as as they come on to having with with Marco Polo, and I found it quite you know I I find it very effective that it was, it's a very threatening environment to be in. It's a it's an out of control, sort of you know you're you're sort of effectively stuck on a planet with more or less wild animals. You know, it's showing you an an alien environment in that very general sense of the mm. word again, isn't it? Yeah, as you, I mean, as you say, it's like. It's not a middle ground between sci-fi and historical, but it's it is in the sense that it's not really either. Mm. I mean, I find it. Yeah, well, it is the only pre, it's the only prehistorical, isn't it? <laughs> From a dramatic point of view, it's more like sci-fi than historical because these are 
these might as well be aliens because they have mm. alien thought processes, as yeah. you said. It's more like the. It's more like, for example, to choose another one of my favourite stories, the Web Planet. It's more like the the strange allegorical speech of the Optra. Mm. It's not always great television, but it's kind of it's like pure sci-fi that that kind of approach. Is there any definite proof that it is set on Earth? <laughs> Just to throw that out there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, aliens would that, would historically. You suddenly, would you suddenly love it if we could <laughs> prove that it wasn't? <laughs> and there was a... I'd have, I'd have. Well, yeah. No, I wouldn't. Maybe they're all from a dimension of fiction, and their characters from Doctor Who discovers prehistoric man, published in 1977, <laughs> yeah. or, or they're robots from the Ghana's World Exhibition. Hmm. I, I understand that the, there's a lot of laudable stuff, and dramatically, it has its interesting moments. But I find the setup for me can't sustain an hour of television because it's just a cyclical, it's a very small debate. I find it very tiresome. Can you make fire? No. Make fire? No. Can you make fire? No. Repeat. I can't tell them apart. Those two guys with long hair and beards, they look the same to me. So I've struggled since I was a child to work out which is Cal and which is Zar. Only one's got a beard. Well, it is. Really. It, it, it's funny it's you should say that because 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 I thought they looked quite different, and then at the start of one of the episodes, I was completely confused as to which one I was looking at. So uh, which one? Zar is that Derek Newark? Is that exactly? Name? It's impossible to say. <laughs> you agree with me? It's it's like Ant and Deck, isn't it? They look quite different, but but you, but you still don't know which one's which. Cal is always standing on the left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, they don't have beards, do they? That's incredible. Does one, one does. have a beard? If, yeah, one has, if one has a beard, yeah. I should have written that down because mm. that would have been really useful. One has a beard. They should. Yeah. They should have different coloured jerkins on. Mm. Yeah, that would really help. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Good lord. Brilliant. I like Derek Nuke's performance. I think it's. I, Which one? I think he? it's more believably, believably human than his performance in Inferno, as Greg Seven. <laughs> Yeah. That's my hot take. Yeah. <laughs> I find it frustrating trying to work out the intelligence level of these people. We're told that they don't understand kindness and they don't understand friendship, and yet yes. they have a huge vocabulary and they seemingly understand all the conversation all of the time and interrupt people. And yet there's certain specific words that they don't understand. And then when Barbara's trying to explain things, she she speaks really slowly and they just kind of look and shake their heads and grunt. It's like the TARDIS translation circuits yeah. are, are dropping in and out all the time. And I just find it deeply frustrating trying to get a handle on what the rules are in these. I, don't, I, think, yeah, I think it gets away with it. But clear, obviously no one involved was a, a linguistic expert. I mean, presumably they had a much smaller vocabulary, but does that mean that even with the TARDIS translating for them, they would still be gaps? Mm. I don't know. Well, suppose, um, suppose but, but I, I don't get on with the idea that they they don't know what a friend is. I mean, no, because of course they they also clearly grouped into tribes because that's yes, why they don't. They're they not family. They're not family tribes. It is None an extended family mm. where they've yeah. they've chosen to work to get to live together for mutual they're benefit. All cousins. So they are. They should understand the idea of collaboration and cooperation. Mm. So it doesn't quite work. It's not at all that modern to know how, for instance, sophisticated the Neanderthals were. And it's Mm. been said that you could take a Neanderthal, raise him in modern society, and it would function well. Mm. So the idea that this group of people 
is sort of subhuman, like half half yeti. I don't know what they. With their their well, brains. It's... I'm not a science. I'm not a doctor of science, but their brains are the same size as ours, are they not? At this. Mm. I mean, where when is this set? Who are <laughs> these people? Where where would they be? Where? It's unclear. Well, <laughs> the the Caucasian gene is a mutation of about thirty thousand years old, so it can't right. be older than that if you're going by the ethnicity of the actors. Mm. But if you're yeah. treating it as yeah. a historical whitewash, then you open to all. But does think, the fact that we, they are living in caves narrow it down? Because they clearly does uh, that mean they've left Africa and well, left the Middle East? Does that mean they're the, European? Or well, it feels well, don't like tell it's European. Don't, don't, don't tell us that they're. That, hmm. Don't tell us that they're caving up these actors. Don't tell us <laughs> that this 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 pro is going to get cancelled because it turns out that these actors shouldn't be playing those parts. Well, it's supposed to be an ice age, isn't it? Yes, because they I was talk about when they're talking. They're, they're referring to the ice age, aren't mm. they? Yeah. yeah. Well, you assume you assume so. Yeah. Coburn said he felt it was set in 180,000 or 190,000 BC, so it's closer to 200,000 BC in Coburn's head, I think. Hmm. Paul Googles, when was the last Ice Age on Earth? It began yes. about 100,000 years ago and lasted until 25,000 years ago. Could that be where they got the old 100,000 BC from, perhaps? A very loose understanding of when the last Ice Age was. But the problem is, if you put it at 20,000 years, when they're after the last Ice Age and they're all Caucasian, then they're basically on the yeah. verge of building cities. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. well when mm. do we start settling down and farming? That's about 10,000 years ago, isn't it? That's 10, about 9,000, 10,000 yeah. Yeah. It, but that's still in the. That's in the first half of the, Well, and yes, probably also the in China. Thingy but, basin. Yeah. Mm. But this mm. could be one isolated, very stupid tribe just living <laughs> there. Or they could in, be on another planet. Or, or they could be future humans who, on an Earth colony, oh, who've, yes. who've lost their technology hey, and devolved. Hey, hey, is this is this Mondas? <laughs> Emotions, <laughs> love, pride, hate, oh fear. Oh my God. Have you no emotions, sir? Still not. Th there is the um, the skull, so I think you could probably yeah. identify that if you were a zoologist. It's, there's a wombat skull or something like that, yeah. or a horse, or a camel. Could be a could be a horse, says Ian. Very could be a horse. Hmm. Yeah. But isn't there a peccary that gets that's killed by the by the jaguar? A what? Isn't there a peccary or something? It's a bit or a warthog or something okay. that's been. It's a warthog. Well, yeah. killed by they have killed by the jaguar. Space. <laughs> Warthogs in space is you, that's your next big finish, isn't yeah. it? You've seen you've seen the rescue. This brings me on to my whole thing about two thousand and one a space odyssey if we're talking about um Go on, then. the dawn of man thing. Well yes. I am fascinated by the fact that basically Africa was you know there there they are and it's basically it's just all all eight men and tapirs and that's um <laughs> and I'm just thinking, yeah, was the was the monolith basically waiting for the dawn of tapir? Tapir, intelli tapir <laughs> intelligence mm. was about to. Um, so you know, I think there's an so interesting. So they had three options. It was it was apes, tapirs, or Silurians. Mm, yes. And they were <laughs> going to go in one direction. <laughs> mm. uh, well, so don't think one direction into this. Yeah. So, so old mother is is the uh, the fire exeter in this particular story. I mean, as far as she's concerned. <laughs> The whole fire thing's been a terrible mistake. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's she's had to live yeah. through the last I don't know forty years of people burning stuff, and she just isn't at all happy with it. And she thinks everything would be so much better if we just went back to how things were yeah. during the she's Great just Famine. Just wore more skins. Yeah, mm. she's she's a trouble starter. Yeah. <laughs> 
And yet, she'd be the she wouldn't it's punch iron. She'd eat raw meat without she hasn't got any teeth. Yeah, yeah. I reckon. I reckon she should have. She should have arranged for a referendum. It would all have been fine. <laughs> I, I was going to say, whether you like this or not, at least it's only three episodes, which makes it fairly unusual in this era. But I've, I've, there's no point me saying that now because Gavin has already said that at three episodes it's far too long. Yeah, because which, the, the the most frustrating thing today was I was thinking. You know, this this doesn't drag quite as badly as I remember it. Here they are. They're back to the TARDIS. <laughs> oh, oh, no. no. They're going to have another episode. They've been intercepted and recaptured. There's uh, another damn episode. Of I, mean, so I mean, they tried the very... Cave. They had to try really hard to get captured, didn't they? I mean, I mean, you know, they made an awful lot of noise. If they hadn't jogged on the spot and been hit in the face with branches, they'd have been much <laughs> faster back to the yeah. TARDIS. Oh, well. Mm. Uh, also, um, William Russell, I mean, you've got, you, you've got to say he's a very consistent actor. He's utterly incapable of doing any stumbling acting <laughs> in anything he ever does. It's just as well that um, that he doesn't have to do any dancing, I think. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, until the chase. Mm. Yes. Good Lord. Well, hmm. <laughs> you just wait till we get onto the chase. Yeah. I'm trying to think what, what evidence there is that this is another planet. I mean, the Doctor hasn't got his readings yet. That's true. It's mm. the year zero, so we, we don't know what time, what year it is. Mm. The yearometer. The yearometer. The yearometer <laughs> year is mentioned. Well, we get that back in the TV movie. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. Yes. Mm. Yes. Oh, <laughs> not a nice link. The yeah, air. Yeah. The air is superb, and there's no radiation. Mm. So, what what would have been ideal to Narrow to make down. this story a bit more interesting is if just like there'd been some kind of exciting futuristic periscope that had just like popped up in the background of the cave and looked around and then just gone back down again and the story mm. carried on as normal. Mm. I'd have accepted that. Yeah, could it be like. Could be like the twist at the end of Planet of the Apes, but in reverse. You think it's not. You think it is Earth, but it isn't. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. And then, or like, yes. And then we have another three episodes where the <laughs> robots come out. <laughs> Maybe all the skulls are robotic. The periscope robots. Oh, that was one mm. thing that I did find interesting. In episode two, I'm pretty sure they're all real human skulls, and then episode yeah. three onwards, they're yeah. plaster casts. Oh right, because oh, uh, all of the anatomy goes very strange. I there's, thought they look the one that there's the close up that they favour at the beginning of episode three is very strange. It's got a much bigger hole split in the head, mm. so they've made that more obvious. Well, there's one in the background in episode three that looks like a Halloween decoration. He's his <laughs> skeleton is just not human. There you go. It's not a human skeleton in the background in episode three. Mm. It's clearly not human human anatomy. Yeah. But Excellent. in episode two, right. that is definitely some poor Se- bloke sequel from ideas. the Victorian uh, cabinet. <laughs> Weird, yeah. Stroke it made me wonder, cool. in my macabre mind, who that was. There's a skull, there's definitely a human skull, but there's, I'm pretty sure, a, a proper human anatomical skeleton on the right of frame lying horizontally as episode two cave shot opens. Hmm. Right. I'd be pretty confident that was once a real person. Hmm. And why hasn't Toby Haydoke found out who that is? <laughs> oh, I saw Chris Chapman at the weekend. I should have pitched that oh, as yeah. a documentary looking for the owner of this skeleton. Yeah, yeah. L- looking for Callan Sars' ancestors. <laughs> yeah. On the subject of the intelligibility or whatever, the apparently Coburn wanted to do a draft with... I don't think it ever got to a draft, but apparently... He, he at least toyed with the idea and wanted to have the cavemen only communicating grunts. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, 
there's still a bit too much grunting as it is. Mm. So, God mm. knows how that would have come off. <laughs> like a very avant-garde piece of modern theatre. Yes. Yeah. Does he have a background in that sort of thing? <laughs> or is he just an idiot? Uh, as you were saying, thank goodness for David Whittaker. Mm. Yes. Yes. And apparently he slowed down the bonding between the team, as it were, right. in the in the stuff we were talking about in the Cave of Skulls and so on. He sort of mm. they they sort of came together as a team much more rapidly, and he it, he it, sort of deliberately wound it, it, wound and, it back so that they could. It comes and goes as it is now, doesn't it? Yes, the doctor yeah. apologises, mm. but we only in episode two. I'm desperately sorry. Mm. I'm so 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 sorry. But then he. Uh, immediately reneges on that mm. and mm. thinks they're a bunch of idiots. His yes. characterization drifts back towards the pilot, I think, as uh, particularly in episode three. Well, we get the, the business I with mean, the I know he's, rock. Yeah. yeah, but even, you know, just conversationally, and I know they're in dire straits and everything, but mm. he it's all that hard, hard-edged hard version. Mm. I don't know why he isn't cracking jokes about cracking skulls but we don't know for sure how much of this slow softening of the character was deliberate, do we? Do we? I mean, even after all these years, it's with the fans have retroactively fitted the Doctor with a character arc where he gets, mm. where he learns from these human companions what are traits of compassion and nobility and so on, rather than just going around the universe being a bastard, mm. which is apparently his previous MO. <laughs> But is this just <laughs> well, something know, right, the production team themselves discovered over these first few stories? Hmm. Well, I think definitely there's a contrast between the pilot and, and the broadcast version of the first episode. Mm-hmm. And I think Hartnell or the director or the nature of the script means that none of that warmth is present that was injected into the broadcast version. I guess it's a situational thing. There's not a lot you can do hmm. with uh, life and death situations. Hmm. To have Hartnell tittering away. No. At this point, he's pipes to make of the year mm. and whacking people with massive flints every time you get yes, back yeah, whacking, pe- whacking people over the head with stuff doesn't exactly go away, does it? Yeah. But, but he's, he said yeah. he was a liar. He said he was going to get him to draw a map yeah. with the rock. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's also quite cunning with the whole knife thing. I mean, and it's, yeah. and it's, it's a nice bit of politics as well that they. They, they, they've get they've got in with um, with her and Czar and and, and so it feels like they're, they, you know they're they're on side with, with with the cave people and then they come back and there's been a revolution and unfortunately um, it's Callow's in charge. Mm. So Which all that he? all that niceness <laughs> he, he's the other one. All that niceness has been uh, you know uh, a waste of time. I'd never spotted before that the female the, the only eligible female is called her mm. because it, it yeah. makes the dialogue quite confusing at points. When he's yeah. and Cal, when Zara's talking to her dad and he says, "I want," I don't know the women, I want her. Mm-hmm. You think who's she? The cat's mother. Mm. <laughs> oh, the old mother was originally meant to be the mother, wasn't she? And then she just she's redrafted into becoming the matriarch of the tribe, generically speaking. Oh, was she? But whichever one it is, Cal or Zar, I don't know. Mm. It, she's the mother of, of that right. one, yeah. originally. Well, Zar is the, is, the, is the one who's part of the tribe, and Cal is the one who's mm. wandered in from elsewhere. Yes. Well, her is none too keen on her dad, or she t- kind of turns on the sixpence and... No, sorry. And goes yeah. from she is none too bad. <laughs> <laughs> John's I expected better here. Yeah, um, mere words, man, and everything. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um. Any any more thoughts on on this? 
before we, we uh, wind things up? Very minor thing, but it's, ten out of ten. it's a nice we'll touch with the, um, Geiger, with the having the Geiger counter smashed mm. when the Doctor is uh, taken. It's a nice, a nice little thing. But, uh, Are you saying that because if it hadn't been smashed, the Daleks wouldn't have been as filled with jeopardy because he'd have detected the problem outside the ship? He might have taken his radio, radiation, yes. Oh, well, mm. I don't know. Yes, that's what you're saying. David Whittaker is on the ball, mm. thinking ahead. Yes. Playing his game of three-dimensional intergalactic chess. If they've, got a, if they've got a portable radiation detector, mm. it does rather beg the question. Yes. Well, it's, yeah. it strikes yeah, me as the, the same. The is one episode long. Mm. Yes. Red could Although, turn blue all by itself and they could go home. <laughs> Although, let's face it, it's already high at the end of... Episode four. This is true. They just went <laughs> back and check their uh, and, and, and they wander off. They wander off to get changed into new clothes, mm. and they can't bother <laughs> to check it before they go out again. Yeah. It, you know, it's their own fault, really, mm. isn't it? It's pretty slapdash. Should we take a couple of minutes, to, and then we can mm. come back mm. and have a chat mm. about mm. Um, mm. the TV movie? Policeman's different. Yeah, apparently, but he's wearing a helmet, so he would notice. Good oh, point. between he hasn't got he hasn't got a beard, has he? Mm. Yeah. No. <laughs> if you put them side by side you could tell they were different but you still wouldn't know which one's which <laughs> hi emily are you okay? Um, yeah. Um, have you seen my marbles, Richard? You what? Um, you know, my marbles. Oh, I thought you had them earlier on. Yes, I did, but I'm not quite sure what I've done with them since then. Hello and welcome back to episode three of If It's Hurting, It's Not Working. Yeah, it's the third instalment of our podcast all about work, why we work, how we work and what makes a great job. So subjects for this episode, we're going to be covering mental health, primarily around the impact of the pandemic on our working lives. We had this this game of musical chairs we were playing where you know we moved between jobs and careers and everything was relatively easy and then suddenly the music stopped with the pandemic and if you were in the wrong place you know and and your industry shut down or was really severely impacted then that was that was bad news for you. It's been a crazy crazy time but we've all managed to stumble through it somehow. Throughout my life, it was a thing that nobody spoke about, particularly at work, but hardly talked about anyway. Mm. And it's such a it's such a hidden thing. I mean, nobody can see that you're unwell. No, no, nobody can see that you're struggling or that you're hurting. Well, you know me quite well, Richard, and you know that I'm one of those that can can hide it pretty well. But you know, I'm behind the camera and only on the mic at the moment, so it's a bit easier to talk about. I think it's because that stigma's gone of actually it's all right, you know, that old saying, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. But actually, that that's true, but it's not okay to be not okay for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. 
So hello and welcome back to episode three of If It's Not... Oh, why am I, do- why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> if it's hurting, it's not working. Okay. Um, what am I doing? Oh yeah, opening Twitter. <sighs> opening Twitter for the old comedy sketch. <laughs> <laughs> you sound... Yeah. The, the, so the convinced. Comedy sketch. <clears throat> funny stuff. Gav, Hi. I, be- I believe these two are known to you. Sorry, hang on, I haven't got my sketch. <laughs> <laughs> Give Kevin some context, I think he needs it. <laughs> it's, you've, you've heard of An Unearthly Child? Vaguely. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> this is, Sorry, my yeah. voice is still recovering. Right. He's playing Susan. We made up the name TARDIS for the initials. Time and relative dimension don't we, in space. Don't, we flip roles, though, don't we? Because my, yeah, my first line is Susan. Have different dimensions inside yeah. from those outside. Yeah, there is a little bit of, of that. I get to be in throughout. Gav. But that's fantastic. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. It's true. Every word of it's true. You don't know what you've done coming in here. I've got it. I just got that joke. That's yeah. quite clever. Talked all around. <laughs> all around. Yep, oh, got yes. It. Very I, good. I didn't well that. Very mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Very good. He's put some effort in this week. Uh, a, la- a laugh. <laughs> a double laugh in there. 